Our scripture that we read out loud together here this morning is going to be coming out of my, one of my favorites, uh, Proverbs 3. And, uh, but this is Proverbs 3, verses 23 through 26. So let us read aloud here. Then you will walk safely in your way, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down, and your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence, and will keep your foot from being caught. Father, we again thank you for this promise to your children. These are our promises as believers, as your children, Lord. These are our promises that we can hold on to. This is not for non-believers, Lord. These are for believers. And we hold this true. And we say amen, amen, amen. God bless you. Please be seated. Open up your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 6. We'll be picking back up here where we left off last week in, with verse 9. As we read verse 9 through 17 to the end of the, this chapter, uh, we will then take it verse by verse uh, so that we have clarity by the Spirit of God. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. I looked when, I op when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Fathers, we open up your word here, and we read your word. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to illuminate your word, bring clarity for us individually, but collectively, Lord. But speak to our hearts. May we have ears to hear and hearts to receive your truth this morning. 
and a desire to receive your truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We have come through the first part of chapter 6, and we saw something well known, but also well under, misunderstood. And that is the four horsemen, or referred to as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And it's that first part of chapter 6 that is the start of, of the opening of the seven seals. We see four of those seals opened up, each of those seals representing a color of a horse. We saw the white horse, which was the very first seal that was opened up by the Lamb, Jesus Christ himself. And when he opened up that first seal, we see the very first thing, and that is the revealing of the Antichrist. The man who will be empowered by Satan to be the dictator, the ruler over the world of that time. And we'll see the Antichrist presents himself first as a picture of goodness and peace for the entire world. And everyone who's been left behind will have a buy-in to that, except for those that we will see today. There'll be many, many, many that we will see that will not be deceived but will remember what you and I have been sharing with them, the gospel, the truth, and they will come to know Jesus Christ. We then saw the second seal open, the fiery red horse, and the one representing on that horse represents open warfare. This is the false piece is now removed by that false peace that was given by the Antichrist. As we will learn, this Antichrist will set a peace deal with the world, with the Jews, with the Muslims, with those here of the secular world. They will come to have this peace treaty, and it will be the sense of peace. But when the second seal is open and the fiery red horse is represented here, the person on there actually takes away that false peace and brings about what it was always intended to. And that is to destroy the people of this world and through warfare. Then we, will, then we saw the third seal, the black horse, representing famine, inflation, something we, people will not even be able to afford to even buy and find, to be able to barely survive. It follows war. Always with war will follow, followed by famine or pestilence because people will become very weak. Then there was the, obviously following war, we see the fourth horse, the pale horse, the ashen horse, the death warmed over looking horse, represents death, the natural result of war and famine, civilization coming to absolute chaos. This is the seven-year tribulation that we started here in chapter 6. The seven-year tribulation brings a period that will impact worldwide. It's a global impact. It's not a regional impact. We've been experiencing regional wars. We call it World War I and World War II, and now we find ourselves, it appears, going into World War III. We will see how this plays out, but we just know these are the signs. We see the symptoms. We see the actual results of the darkness that is spreading across this world. And the darkness that comes across this world always results in wars and rumors of wars, but we see them playing out in real time today. 
We also experience the pestilence and the, the COVIDs of the worlds, and those will come and continue to come, it appears. Famine will happen because when war comes, things that produce food becomes a shortage. These are not things that we worry about and are concerned about. Why? Why? Because our protector, our provider is Jesus Christ. He is faithful through all the highs and lows. He will be faithful to us for those who keep our eyes on Jesus. He will guide us and he will provide for us. Ultimately, he will be taking us out of here and taking us home. Because this is not our home. Our home is in heaven. See, the seven-year tribulation period brings this worldwide impact. The beginning of sorrows is what we saw in the first few verses of chapter 6. It speaks of the first three and a half years of the tri tribulation period. It really matches up well with Matthew chapter 24. If you go back and read Matthew 24, you see Matthew 24 and here in these uh, chapters of chapter 6 through 19 lines up very, very well. It also lines up with the prophecy fulfillment in Daniel chapter 9. But following that first three and a half years of the tribulation, the beginning of sorrows, we see that we refer to it as the great tribulation, speaking of the second half of the seven-year tribulation period. We're going to see that as we play out here in chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9. The worship described... In Revelation chapter 4 and 5 is preparation for the bringing about the wrath described here in chapters 6 through 19. So as we go through these verses, understand there are three major phases that we see. The first phase is the first seven seals. Then we are going to see the seven trumpets. Then we'll see the seven bowls, or vials, your, your, your Bible may, version may say. Now, I see these appears as a sequential in nature. Others may not. But we're not going to be dogmatic about that. These things are all going to happen. If they're not sequential or they're sequential, it does not matter. Because I just see it from a sequential. As we go through, you can see it the same way, or you may not. But it's between, as you study the, and be a Berean and study the word in detail, you will see what the Lord reveals to you. But here the, the Apostle John records two responses to the opening of the first four seals. One response is in a heavenly view, and the second one is the unearthly view. Look right here in verse 9 of, of chapter 6 of Revelation. The fifth seal brings about or brings forth the cry. The cry from whom? The cry from the martyrs that will be murdered, beheaded during this first three and a half years of the tribulation time. When he opened that fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls. How did John see souls? Do you ever think about that? How did he see the souls? And of those who had been slain for the what? Being, being you know, chaotic on earth? Were they out there picketing? Where they're like, uh, where did my family go? Where did, you know, 
Were they, were they trying to rebuttal the, the, the false narrative that was the aliens that took us all and raptured us out of, you know, took us out of here? And that's why they're being slain? No, we see very clearly why they're going to be martyrs, and that is because they kept to the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Not because they were picketing, not because they were rebellious against the government, not because either. they just didn't follow this fallen government. The Antichrist and all of the leaders that we see, the ten nations ruling over the lands. No, the scene shifts to the heavenly vision for a moment here. John sees in the middle of chapter 6, and John sees the souls of the righteous under the altar. Why under the altar? Why? Because they're not around the throne like you and I who was raptured out of here. These are the people who, were, who were, did not believe and were left behind because they were playing maybe Christianese. They were saying they were a Christian, but they really didn't believe Jesus Christ. Didn't accept Jesus Christ. They were not born again. They were playing just religion. And then there are some who flat out refused to accept anything of, of, of God. And they were, they were heathen as can be. That's where we all used to be. But you told them about the good, the gospel. You told them about the truth. You told them that Jesus Christ was coming back for the, the church, the, the believers. And now they believe it. Because they are experiencing it. First hand. Maybe it's because they went looking for you and you weren't there, but you had something that said, if I'm ever disappear, you don't know where I'm at. Uh, brother, my sister, my mom, my dad, whoever it may be, my best friends, go to this place and open this drawer because I have a video waiting for you. Or I have a note waiting for you. Or you and you opened it up and they, and if you're reading this letter right now, that means I've been raptured out of here. You need to give your life to Jesus. I mean, People come up with all kinds of creative ways to help someone who's not listening to them now to hopefully will come to the truth and be saved after the rapture. I always, you know, I jokingly say there's a book nook out there. You all, we're all gone. If you show up and you're by yourself, there's a full book nook available to you. Start reading the prophecy section. See, John sees the souls of the righteous now. Under the altar who were slain on earth for speaking the word of God. And their testimony of being saved. They weren't saved. They left behind. Now they're saved. That is going to be a tremendous testimony that people will be able to say. But let me tell you right now, you do not want to be here during the tribulation time. Don't sit there and let the enemy deceive you and say, oh, great, everyone will be gone. I'll have a good time for seven years and I'll give my life to Christ somewhere in that seven years and I'll still get to go under the altar. Notice the cry of the martyrs. <laughs> it is not going to be good for you if you left behind. You want, you, you want to be on that exit from the beginning. See, these are the cry of the martyrs who were killed on earth when the first four seals were broken. They are not the church saints who are, had earlier, you and I, raptured to glory. We see in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. We're in heaven. We're around the throne. We're represented. That's not us. These are the people who were left behind under the altar. Why under the altar? 
These souls were under the altar. Somehow John was able to see their souls. And when they look at this and they were under the altar, it emphasizes that their lifeblood was poured out as an offering to God. It draws your attention. If you remember, the tabernacle is a picture of heavenly things. And so when you take a look at that, these were these, the cry of these martyrs was drawing your attention to Leviticus chapter 4, verse 7. It says, and he shall pour the remaining blood at the basin of the altar of the burnt offering. It is the sacrifice that comes. They're going to be sacrificed. They're going to be murdered. They're going to be beheaded because of their speaking the word of God and representing God now in this fallen world. And when that happens, it's going to be like a burnt offering. Because remember, the altar, they slayed the, the one that was being uh, slain, the, the animal. The blood would drain to the bottom of the altar here. It's a picture for us. But they were slain. It's probably the best to see this cry of these martyrs for God's truth. They held to God's truth. They weren't going to take the mark of the beast. They're not going to listen to the Antichrist. They're not going to be deceived. And they're going to have this cry because they're going to be persecuted because they're now making a stance for Christ. They're going to go against that first horseman. See, we've already seen the church in heaven. Romans 11 makes kind of clear that after the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, that is after the current dispensation, that, that the age of grace is moved now after the rapture into the dispensation of the age of judgment. And after that current dispensation of the age of grace has come to the end and the churches have been removed to heaven, the blindness will pass away from the eyes of the Israelites, the Jews, and those here on this earth. And they will realize their true condition and their sin is, their sin is because of the rejection of the Messiah. And then they will call upon Jesus for deliverance. Because after that rapture happens and the seals start happening, we are going to see that people heard the gospel, the truth, and now they're going to believe it. They're going to see 144,000 evangelists going across the world, sharing in who Jesus is. We're going to see the two witnesses at the, right there at the temple who were going to die and come back to life. We're going to see God, by His grace still, even during the dispensation of judgment, is going to reach this fallen world that left behind by His grace to, for they give an opportunity to give their life to Jesus still. A new company of saints will be seen here under the altar and will be formed on the earth all together different in the current heavenly company. That's where we will be. And what will they be doing? They will be crying. And what are they going to be saying? They're saying to God, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell in it. They were looking for vengeance. God, avenge us. That's their cry. Avenge us, Lord. Avenge us. And some people say, how can that be? Because aren't we supposed to show love? And aren't we supposed to be uh, the, the grace? Yes, we were prior to the rapture. Now we're moved into the dispensation of judgment. That was the warning that we're always telling our friends and our family. 
God is grace. He's going to give you. You're, you've walked away from God. You don't want anything to do with God. But by grace, he can, he's, he's opening the door. He's knocking at the door of your heart. But after the rapture, then it's about judgment. We still have opportunity, but only through martyrism. Only through, only through death. These souls in heaven cried out for vengeance. For judgment, avenge blood. We usually don't think of God's people crying out for vengeance. But understand, this is a cry that they leave the matter with him. God, it's up to you. Now you're going to deal with these people. When God's people are persecuted, he will set it right. He's a just God. It isn't wrong for God's people to ask him to do what he promises to do. If God says, this is what I'm going to do, it's okay to be praying for that because that's his promises we find in the word of God. And so it's like Abel crying out to God for the vengeance of his brother. What we find in Genesis 4.10, the ground was crying from the, he was crying from the ground for vengeance, if you remember. So there's not something new here in, the, in Revelation. We see it right from Genesis. It's the same consistent story throughout from book to book. But notice these people are then, somehow the souls are, are given a white robe and given to each of them. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer. Why? Why are we west resting? Why am I having to be patient, God? Well, under both the number of their fellow servants and, of the, and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. So those under the altar right now that we see, we see that not everyone is yet given their life to Jesus and been martyred yet. They're waiting. God, show vengeance now. No, no, we're waiting before I take them all out. I've, there's more people coming to me. There are more people going to give their life to me. They're all going to be martyred too. It's not complete yet. These are the saints that were instructed to wait. Why? How long were they to wait? We see this very clearly even noted in Jeremiah 30. This time to wait is a time until the time of Jacob's trouble is ended and all of God's appointed martyrs are killed. There's a time, there is a purpose, and there is a place. God is in control. The word martyr comes from an original Greek word, martus or martyr, and it means simply witness. So why is this martyr used here, the cry of the martyr, or the cry of the witness? A witness of, for Jesus Christ. A witness, not just, so many times when we hear martyr, we immediately draw the conclusion is speaking of someone who believes in Jesus, yes, but they were dead. They died for their faith. But in the original language, it doesn't mean death. It doesn't mean everyone's going to die to be a witness, to be a martyr. You and I can be a martyr for Jesus Christ, but still alive. So when you take a look at the translation, again, they were slain, yes, by the enemy because of their witness to the truth of God and the message of Jesus Christ. 
That is why they were martyred. Why were they martyred? Just because someone's standing there telling the truth of God and reading from the Word of God? It's because the Antichrist doesn't want to hear anything of the truth. Darkness hates light. It's still true today and it'll be true after the rapture during the tribulation time. And so those who are going to stand firm and continue to say, I'm not taking the mark of the beast because the Bible tells me I'm not going to do it. I'm going to follow God and I'm going to live for God. I'm going to tell you about God. I'm going to tell everyone about Jesus Christ. And I'm going to do that even if it means I'm going to die. Because I have chosen to be a martyr for Christ, meaning I choose to be a witness for Christ. Evidence we see, or at least consider, of the story, the first Christian martyr. Do you remember who that is? Stephen, recorded in Acts chapter 6, verses 8, verses chapter 7 through 53. We see, after being anointed as one of the very first deacons, be careful if you want to be a deacon, You want to be one of the first deacons in the church. Stephen immediately began doing mighty works because he was empowered by God to do these mighty works that God had called him to do now. And as he does these things for God and and, and affecting and and truly reaching out and, and, and having an effect on people around him, when that happens and when the Holy Spirit is mighty in the work of the person that God has anointed to do that work and the gospel is going forth, the forces of darkness is going to arise and hinder that work. So many of you, you'll say, Pastor, I thought it was going to be easier to be a a Christian than a a non-Christian. Who told you that? The seeker-friendly type churches out there, of course they're going to tell you that. But that's not the Bible. Bible. They're not teaching you the Bible, so you know what the truth says. Expect persecution. Why? Because as you grow and mature in your faith and you cannot help but tell people how God has saved you from your sin. And when you just share, it's like, wow, what's been happening in your life? Jesus, I have accepted Jesus Christ. I am, God is just really doing a radical work in me. I'm just, yeah, man, you used to be the most hateful person I've ever met. And I can't stand you now being so loving. But that is so true, is it not? Two non-believers, they hate each other, they'll go after each other and just, tie, t- just tear each other apart if you don't get to do what they want because they're so selfish. And then when someone comes to Jesus, you would think, wow, the other one's going to benefit. No, the other one hates them even more because now they, darkness doesn't like light. It's crazy. But it's biblical. And we see that Stephen being used by God in the places and it just... just And the darkness just came at him full force. The Bible places a premium, a value of faithful believers who paid the ultimate price for their witness, which is death. Stephen was granted a glorious vision. A glorious vision of heaven before he died. And in this vision, he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because God said, I am just well done and good and faithful servant. Let me give you a glimpse of what is ahead of you. That's all for us. This is not just for Stephen. 
God and the faithful servants of God as a, as a martyr, just giving their life dedicated, will see things that other people will not experience in their walk with Christ. The illumination of, of understanding of the word of God and the truths of God and, and the vision will see much more in clarity than those who are not faithful in serving God. Clearly, the Bible brings a lot of evidence of, or points of evidence to the fact that those who are persecuted and suffer for their witness to Christ up to and including death are pleasing in God's sight. We're pleasing God as we stand firm in our faith and our testimony for him. See, understand, God doesn't call everyone to make the ultimate sacrifice of death. But the Bible calls all Christians to be prepared to give a defense of the hope within us. We see that mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. The key to this passage, passage lies in preparedness. Are you prepared to be a witness for Christ wherever you go? Are you? Are you a light and salt in this dark world that we live? Will you allow God, the Spirit of God, to empower you to be a witness, a light and salt for those in your neighbors, in your schools and, and work environments? Because the world is getting darker and confusion and deception and all these things are all across the place. We talked about this. How much more crazy and deception is going on when people think you can change your gender? You can change how marriages change in every aspect of things that God has created. The enemy is now just twisting it and throwing it upside down. And people are buying into the lie because they're deceived. That's why it's so easy to see when the Antichrist comes and they say things like aliens took them. They're going to believe it. But not you, not me, because we know where the word of God and the spirit of God lives within us and it gives us clarity when everyone else is going squirrely. How I need you in the word of God. Study the word of God. Go deeper with your relationship with Jesus. It ends, the end of time is near. We don't know what time and when the time is, but when you see the seasons, when you see the things that are talked about in the Word of God coming and full time on your TV as of today. This is not the time to play Christianese. Or be half-hearted in how you live for God. You must be committed to Christ. To be that martyr. That living martyr for Christ. Why? Why? I'm not talking because of just for you. If I said I'm going to do this because it's for me, that'd be so selfish. I'm saved. I don't do this for me. Once you're saved, now it's all about you, the other. The one who's not saved and the one who is saved to encourage him to continue to walk faithfully with Christ. 
That's why we're still here. We're not in heaven already. God says, I still need you here on this earth to be a witness, a martyr for me, a living martyr, to share the gospel and to encourage people in the faith so that they will stay strong all the way to the finish the race. God has asked you on this marathon to come alongside someone who's in the last few miles of the marathon and you have enough strength, the ability to encourage them to take one more step in the race because they need to finish it with you. Are you doing that? And your family and your, for your children, your grandchildren, your brothers and sisters. Are you? Are you that committed to Christ to be a, a living martyr? That's what he's called us to do. And not to sway away from that responsibility. Because our Heavenly Father asks us as his children to do such a thing? Are you going to be obedient? Am I going to be obedient? That's the question. Are you going to be obedient? The fifth seal gives us a picture of what will happen after the rapture and the start of the tribulation. But look what happens. The sixth seal is now opened. And the opening of the sixth seal brings the cosmic disruption. Now we're going to see what we all know about, even as non-believers we heard about. We watched the movie, didn't you? I watched the movie. Or at least heard about the movie. Verse 12, I looked, and when he, Jesus, opened the sixth seal, and behold, your Bible may say, whoa, I mean, it's like, this is serious. Whoa, behold. There was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. And the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs. They're very ripe, uh, uh, ripe figs. They're just going to go boom, 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 boom. Just drop it. When it is shaken by a mighty wind. And then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up. I don't know what that means. I don't know how that looks. I've never experienced it. And every mountain and island was moved. Notice that it was not sunk and disappear. It was just moved out of its place. So now we're back, John brings us back to the earthly scene. An earthly scene, what was going to be happening during this first three and a half years of the tribulation. We see in the Bible a, a celestial disturbances often connected with the coming of the Messiah. Where have we seen that? Go back in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Joel and Zephaniah. And even Jesus himself, it describes such a thing. I'll read just one of those out of Zephaniah because that's your favorite book, I know. <laughs> Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. The great day of the Lord is near and is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. 
There the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of de devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, the day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. Let me read Joel chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 as well. The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon dark, the stars diminish their brightness. And then when we jump down to verse 11, for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? I, I take those words very seriously. I'm sure you do as well, that many people will tell you, those who do not know the Lord and who say they know the Lord, but really or not, they think you're going to be able to endure the time of tribulation. It, it is going to be overwhelming. Because we will see the sun will turn black. We will see a, a moon that is lit by the sun will become extremely red. On fire. We will see, like blood, a dark blood, not bright red, but a, blood, a dark blood. I don't know if it's going to be the bright red blood, like a, an artery fresh out of the artery or, 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 or oxygenated. But anyway, either way, it's going to be bad. But then the stars. I don't believe it's referring to the star that you see. Why? Because one star would wipe out the planet Earth. But there are the elements of these stars, elements that are space dust, enough would cause problems for us. A meteor. We've seen those hit us before. That's not something new. But we see these things are going to come like figs. Boom, 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 boom. Can you imagine? No, I, 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 I can imagine, but it's some people who've gone to war, they've seen the bombs coming in. Boom, boom, boom. But we're talking celestial. Do you understand the magnitude and the shaking of what is going to take place? These are pictures that God has given to John for us today. He didn't, John didn't use any technical precision of scientific language here. He doesn't have to. He simply described the word of what is going to happen and we understand it. I like simplicity. I'm not a complex kind of guy. But I do know what's above me. And I do know that if that comes down upon me, it's bad. I think we were, we're more concerned about all these satellites coming down upon us more than anything else. But that won't be their problem when it comes to the during the tribulation. It will be truly Elements of the sky coming down. How do the people react during that period of time when that does happen? Look at verse 15. The kings of the earth, those ten nations of kings, those presidents, those prime ministers, what are they going to do? The kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, 
All those billionaires who are now building their caves in New Zealand because that's supposedly the safest place for end times and they're building those little bunkers in the mountains. They think they're going to be fine. God has a way to bring a, a bunker buster like nothing before. That's, a, that's how weird we are, right? We think, oh, I can go build this because I'm gonna, this is going to be the best. There's nothing you can make by man's hands that can sustain or withstand the power of God. Do you understand this? Don't be deceived. Not even the rich man's going to save them. Selves. They're not going to have all the money that's not going to help them. The great men who are all the big thinkers, they're not going to be smart enough. The kings who are running these nations and have all the resources and armies available to them, in this, that ain't going to save them. My commander's going to help me. He promised. No, the commanders are not going to help you. He's going to be squealing just like you are if you're left behind. Yes, exactly. Amen. He's going to be crying like that baby. The mighty men, the big, big dudes, right? All the, all the I'm a you know, strong. Every worker, every slave, every free man hide themselves in the caves and in the mountains and the rocks of the mountains. They think if they can get out of sight, out of mind, and hide in these things, that somehow that's what's going to save them. They don't know God. Notice here in verse 16, and said to the mountains and the rocks, do you notice that they do not talk to God? They won't talk to God prior to all this, and they're still not talking to God, even though they can see things that are happening they can't even, under, can't even get their minds wrapped around. They still refuse to talk to God. They're going to be willing to talk to the mountains and the rocks and tell them, fall on us. Over here, they says, who gives the vengeance? And now we're seeing who's going to hide us. Fall on us. What does that mean? Mountains and rocks fall on us. I think it's plain English. It means take us out. That's, a, that's the extreme side of the house. Just, get, just come drop on us because we can't handle this. And hide us. So I take it, okay, you're going to fall on us, cover us, protect us. Don't let anyone see us. That's how I'm leaning toward that. And hide us from the what? The face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. I don't want to hear, see the presence of the Heavenly Father. And I do not want to see the Son, Jesus Christ. They're still denying. Even in the time. So this is what I, you need to draw the conclusion on. Even through judgment will not bring you to Christ. Even though the people you know and you've been loved and you've been sharing the gospel, even through judgment, doesn't mean they're going to come to Christ. How do we want to lead people to Christ? For them to understand the love of Christ. That by his grace and mercy, he has made a way for them to be forgiven of their sins and to escape the judgment to come. What better gift can you give this season 
than the gospel and it being a living martyr, a witness for your loved ones. A man, a woman of all ages committed to following Christ. Because he, they're going to ask for the mountains and the rocks to fall on them, to cover them, to hide them, so they do not have to see and be reminded that there is a God. But the great day of wrath, God's righteous anger has come. And who is able to stand? Who is able to stand? Ezekiel 33, 11 says to them, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn. Turn from your evil ways. That is what God is saying to you today if you have not given your life to Christ. Turn. Repent. That's what it means to return. And repent is to turn. Turn away from your wicked ways. Follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There's only one way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one goes to the Father except by Him. Accepting Him by faith and faith alone. No more, no less. God does not look at all. The scripture tells us has no pleasure and the death of the wicked. Bringing this celestial moment down doesn't bring any joy or pleasure to our Heavenly Father nor our Savior to do that. But our God is a God of love and a God of, of just justice. Wickedness, evilness, sin has to be dealt with. Period. And the kings, the great men, the rich men, the command, it doesn't matter. All people left behind are equally brought low by God's wrath. The judgment is all the more profound because it is the wrath of the Lamb. This is not just a natural wrath. This is God literally bringing upon the wrath of this world. They cry to hide us, hide us, hide us, hide us. What sinners dread, what sinners dread, those who wanted nothing to do with God, you know what you, you dread? You dread most of all is not death, but the revealed presence of God. That's what the scripture says here. You're not ready to face God. You don't want to face God. You, don't, you, you try to ignore the fact that you're going to be face to face with God. Some people, you know, everyone is going to, is going to bow. Everyone's going to see God. I can't wait to see God. I can't wait to be embraced by my Savior. I can't wait to be worshiping Him with Him and along with all of you. But that is not true for those who want nothing to do with God or haphazardly just ah, pretending not. no no you don't want to face God face to face because you know you're going to be judged for the sinful life because you didn't let you didn't put your trust in Jesus 
final work on the cross for you so you wouldn't have to pay for your sins. And still, even with all this going on, still the people would not repent. They did not cry out to the Lord like the martyrs that we see under the altar worshiping or us worshiping around the throne. They just chose not to do this. So who will who is able to stand? Well, you have to come back for chapter seven. <laughs> Let me read a few scriptures and we'll leave it on the high note here for you today, since it's a little heavy. Romans five verses one and two. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which. We stand. We stand because of the grace of God. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15.1 I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you stand. 1 Peter 5.12 Testify that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. The believer can stand. You and I can stand in the face of this great wrath of God. Because we will be raptured out of here and we will be in around the throne. Because Jesus already bore the wrath the believer deserved. You and I deserve the full penalty of our sin. And by his work and his work alone, we put our trust in him. And we are saved. Have you done that this morning? Have you committed your life to Christ? And if you have, are you standing firm in that decision to follow Jesus? I want you to stand firm in your decision to follow Christ. I know you're not perfect. I know you're still struggling with bad things from past. But your, your desire now is not to do it. You're moving, wanting to move away from it. But I want to encourage you, the more you focus on Jesus, the more you walk with him in obedience and follow him, he draws and walks you away from the past junk that has used to, in your flesh that used to control you. There's no program that's going to save you. There's no 12-step, 10-step, do-si-do step. Is it going to save you? One step, one after another, following Jesus is what's going to save you. Will you do that?